Good afternoon. What a joy it is to welcome you again to Mount Zion Church. This has been a continuous celebration for 46 years, and so we are pleased that you have come to be with us again as we remember the work and life of Martin Luther King as well as the work of the Seattle Colleges. We are so grateful that you have come to Mount Zion to celebrate this because it was here at Mount Zion that Dr. King made his first appearance in Seattle, uh, invited by invited by his friend and schoolmate, Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney, the esteemed former pastor of Mount Zion. And so as we gather today to celebrate what has been a tradition here, not only of remembering Dr. King in terms of his work and inspiration, but also the work of Seattle College, we hope that in our gathering today, some, some inspiration from that time will provide us with a challenge and reassurance today as we face so many difficulties not only in this city, but in our nation. We are pleased that you are here. We hope that you will enjoy your time together and that you will leave refreshed so that you may go into the community and do the work that we are called to do. We are especially pleased to thank Mr. Piggies for his prelude. And now I want to introduce Monique Ming Lavin, who will emcee the program for today. Reverend Stallings, thank you so much. It is so amazing to be with you here today. Maybe like the rest of you, I need a little drink of water and a towel off after that performance. My goodness, thank you so much, fantastic. Going to have to stretch out a little bit and buckle up because we're going to hear more from uh, Danelle Damon and Greater Works. And we're really looking forward to that. Um, I really cannot thank you enough for allowing me to be here and be a part of your celebration today. I was also here three years ago, and I see a lot of the same familiar, friendly faces. But of course, that was just 2016, three years ago. Doesn't it seem like forever now? Right? That seems like another world, another life. And now I appreciate being in your company even more because, quite frankly, I need it more. It is a challenge sometimes to hold on to the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in these bitter and divided times. And it is much more tempting to dismiss the call to love, to remember the dream, when sometimes it feels a little bit like a nightmare. But in 1963, at the March on Washington, Dr. King said he felt called to be there to cash a check, he said, and demand payment on the promise of equal rights given in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Now, the last time I was with you here today, Barack Obama was president, and some people would say that that was proof of payment. <laughs> 
Some people would say that was proof of payment, but others would say that right now it feels like we're on the edge of bankruptcy. Now, my husband and I just took our first trip to DC this fall. It took us all this time to get out there. Um, and we hesitated because it is such a stomach-churning and contentious and toxic time. And we weren't sure that that was the time to be there. But we went. We saw everything we could. We learned and we remembered the thoughts and the aspirations of so many people who helped shape the promise of our country. And of course, that included Dr. King. We went to his memorial. We stood and we stared at those engraved quotes. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We must come to see that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. Now, like for you, those were not new words for me when I saw them. But I heard them differently, I read them differently, and I counted them differently, and I mean that quite literally. All three of those quotes, those were less than 140 characters each. See what else you can tweet? Those are words that inspire, that encourage love and justice and bravery and accountability. They don't reflect the paranoia or intolerance or divisiveness of our time. They are truths for all time. And they made me grateful to be in DC at that moment and they make me deeply grateful to be with here, you here right now. So thank you again so much. And we are going to have quite a program today. So special actually that it's being streamed live on SCC TV. You may see the cameras up there. Go ahead and wave to the folks who couldn't make the trip today but are here with us in spirit. Also, just a little bit of housekeeping. Want to remind you to look for the exit signs in case there are any problems or when the choir brings down the house. If you want to run for cover, that's the direction you head. Um, and before I begin, I really need to recognize some of our special guests today. Please, I know you're enthusiastic, you appreciate them all, but save your applause for the end. Now on stage we have the Seattle College's Chancellor Sean Pan and the Board of Trustees Steve Hill and Robert Williams. Of course, the Reverend James O. Stallings and our speaker, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. We're also honored to have with us Governor Jay Inslee, King County Executive Dow Constantine, Ariel Washington from Mayor Jenny Durkin's office, and you will hear from each of them shortly. And up there in the balcony, kids, wave for us. We have the seventh grade class from Brightwater Waldorf School. Thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you will be inspired because you will be inspiring us as well. Also with us, Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best and her fellow officers. Yeah, I saw the chief on the way in here and I told her if I'm having a hard time, all I'm gonna do is throw her name out there because I know she'd get a good reaction. Same for Seattle Fire Chief Harold Scroggins, his fellow firefighters and first responders. And members of the Seattle City Council and King County Council. Now we also have education leaders from our community colleges and public schools, including Denise Juno from Seattle Public Schools. She's a superintendent. 
Dr. Kevin McCarthy, president of Renton Technical College, Dr. John Mosby, president of Highline Community College, Dr. Sheila Edwards-Lang, president of Seattle Central College, Dr. Rosie Romando Cherensap, president of South Seattle College, Dr. Warren Brown of North Seattle College sends his regrets. He's traveling. He couldn't be here with us today. And we also have former Seattle College's trustees and chancellors in the audience. And a special welcome and thanks to Seattle College's faculty and staff and students. They sponsor and program this great event. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to the folks here from the Seattle Times. You know, every year they gave space and attention to this important event, and we should acknowledge that. And thank you, of course, all of you filling this building for being here, an audience committed to service and to community. And our no, I know our elected representatives are happy to see you here today. Soon you'll hear from King County Executive Dow Constantine, also Ariel Washington from Mayor Durkin's office. But first, it is my pleasure to introduce Governor Jay Inslee. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, this is such a high honor to be in uh, Reverend McKinney's a place of worship, a place where he brought Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. here when I was 10 years of age. And I was just reflecting on what's the most important thing we could all do on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I just want to reflect on that based on that visit that he made to this assemblage when I was 10 years of age. At that time, uh, African-American people could not borrow money to buy a house, essentially, in Seattle. And Reverend McKinney did something about that. He went out and made sure we could actually get credit for people. And he moved the needle in that regard. When I was at age, as I came to age, and we were studying uh, civics lessons out at Ingram High School, I heard about governors in the South standing in doorways not letting African-American people get into schools. And we did something about that at that time. And I just reflect on that because we have come a ways because of leadership like Larry Gossett, who led from the outside in the 60s. <clears throat> and leaders like Norm Rice, who led on the inside in the 90s. And Constance is leading today from the inside. But I think the most important thing, if I could just comment on Martin Luther King's last address the night before we lost him, he talked about the fact that he'd, he'd been to the mountaintop and he'd seen the promised land. And he had seen the promised land. I think the most important thing to understand is we have, we're not at the promised land yet. We are in a promising land, a land that is standing four square against the fear that is propagated out of the White House every single day. We are standing against that. We are a promising land, but we are not at the promised land yet. That's the real message that I think we need to take to heart today. So today, we've got too much violence between our police forces and in the African-American community. We're not at the promised land yet. That's why I'm glad this year we're going to pass a law to make sure we have de-escalation training and a good law in this regard. 
And I want to congratulate all the leaders from so many communities that has made this possible. We are not at the promised land yet when it comes to getting African-American people good paying jobs. And I want to thank Nate Miles and Jesse Weinberry because I want to be dedicated to passing Initiative 1000 this year so we can have some good measures moving forward. <clears throat> We're not at the promised land yet when it comes to having African-American children ready for kindergarten and first grade. We know that we cannot allow poverty to be destiny. We know that we can't allow the fact that you weren't born in a silver spoon in your mouth is going to doom you to not having a fair shot in school. So this year, I'm going to look forward, and I hope you'll help me get legislators to make sure that we get 4,000 more kids in early child education to open up the opportunities in education. So this Martin Luther King Day, I want to thank you for being part of a blessed community to keep move, moving the needle forward. We are not at the promised land, but in the state of Washington, we are ever a promising land when we work together. Let's live that creed. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Thank you, uh, Monique. Uh, I'm King County Executive Dow Constantine. Today's theme, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. Dr. King said that many years ago and he also lived it. Dr. King enrolled at Morehouse at the tender age of just 15 years old. And throughout his two brief ministry, he spoke over and over about the value of education. Now, I read just the other day that a growing number of Americans are questioning the value of higher education. I suspect this stems from, among other things, a fundamental misconception about the purpose of education, about how education works. People do not go to school to be indoctrinated, to learn what to think. You go to, learn, you go to school to learn to think, to learn how to think. Dr. King well understood the value of critical thinking to the individual, to the society, to the movement. He said with excruciating accuracy, there is an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Oh, don't we know it. This statement is especially fitting for the times in which we live. Today, science, evidence, truth, reality are under attack from the highest levels of our national government. If we can't agree on some fundamental truths, like our common history of injustice and subjugation, then we cannot hope to become a better nation, a more perfect union. You know, the upside of this otherwise negative trend is that it reminds us, and thank you to those of you from Seattle colleges and other educational institutions who are helping to lift up our communities, it reminds us of the importance of education. 
It causes us to value it even more. And it is leading us to take steps to ensure that education is available and accessible to every single one of our people. <laughs> Dr. King understood. He understood that mounting a struggle for racial justice requires both our hearts and our minds. It takes hard work and it takes new ideas to make meaningful and lasting change. Some of the change takes advantage of new opportunities, yes. But much of the change we work so hard to achieve is focused on dismantling long-time systemic racism. This process is work. It is a heavy lift. It is difficult, it is frustrating, but it is also essential and deeply meaningful. Education, critical thinking, the miracle of the human mind remains our greatest asset and our most effective tool as we strive to meet Dr. King's challenge of creating a truly just society. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Arielle Washington. I'm an external affairs liaison um, here on behalf of Mayor Durkin. I am here to present this proclamation today. Whereas Dr. Martin Luther King was a champion for justice, for the voiceless and for those who were refused access to the American dream. And he was a teacher and he challenged all of us to make freedom a reality for all people. And while we have made great progress, we know that significant disparities still exist in our community in our country, state, and city. And we must come together to continue to pursue Dr. King's vision for our nation and for the city of Seattle. We are dedicated to eradicating racial and other systemic inequalities within our institutions and our entire community. And the city of Seattle commends Seattle Colleges for its 46th annual community celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And thanks for the colleges for its continued work to make Seattle more just, vibrant, and inclusive. Now, therefore, Ginny, a. Durkin, Mayor of Seattle, do hereby proclaim January 18th, 2019 to be Seattle College's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Thanks to all three of you for your thoughtful words for feeding our minds. Um, now it's time to start getting our spirits soaring again. So. Buckle up, staple yourselves down, whatever you need to do, because it's coming at you. We're going to hear from them again, this fantastic choir, Greater Works.
Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. Let's give them another round of applause. <clears throat> Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Sean Penn, Chancellor of Seattle Colleges. I want to thank all of you to join us as we celebrate the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. We relish our relationship with Mount Zion Baptist Church and take pride that at age of 46, we are the oldest and the longest running MLK celebration in Seattle. Yes, indeed. This day gives all of us, students, faculty, neighbors, government leaders, and dear friends, the opportunity to reflect, recharge, and rededicate ourselves to creating a community that is loving, caring, just, and equitable, as envisioned by Dr. King. Creating equity is about meeting people where they are and providing the assistance they need to be equal, to enjoy life. We recognize the starting line is different for everyone. Some run a 100 meters race and start at a 50 meters mark. Others start at five meters behind the starting line, meaning those underserved in our community have to run harder, longer, just to catch up. We see this every day. We understand this. And Seattle College's trustees, faculty, and staff are putting in programs to make sure our students are even out of the starting blocks and finish the race with grace and dignity. And this year, with support from the community in collaboration with the mayor's office, city council, and Seattle Public Schools, we are offering the promise 
of higher education to all high school graduates in Seattle. Dr. King spoke eloquently about the importance of education, especially the hopes and possibility education brings. His words still ring relevant and poignant today. I quote, he we must remember intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of a true education. The broad education will therefore transmit to one not only the accumulated knowledge of the race, but also the accumulated experience of social living. While we are here to celebrate accomplishments of the Dr. King, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the leadership, the vision, and legacy of another special individual, a local hero, Reverend Dr. Samuel B. McKinney. Reverend McKinney was a giant among African-American leaders in the Northwest. He helped launch Seattle's first black-owned bank, as governor appointed, after local banks restricted loans to African-Americans. He served as an original member of the Seattle's Human Rights Commission, which successfully advocated for the passage of Seattle's first Fair Housing Act. In the 1960s, he took part in civil rights demonstrations in Seattle, Alabama, and Washington, D.C. And as many of you know, he talked his college classmates, Dr. King, into coming into, to Seattle in 1961, which is Dr. King's only visit to this church to our great city. In 1993, Reverend McKinney was quoted in a Seattle Times article, noting the progress in some fundamental areas. He said, I've seen Seattle grow up and mature and see itself in a different way. I've tried to be associated with helping and would like to believe Seattle is better, more livable space because I have been here. That is an inspiring statement we can all agree with. Like Dr. King, Reverend McKinney was truly ahead of his time. Seattle College created a scholarship in honor of the Reverend McKinney. It is a small but yet significant way we use higher education to pay homage to Reverend McKinney, his deep conviction that religious faith requires a commitment to social justice and equity. And now, I would like to introduce Professor Paul Carus, a faculty member. Professor Carus is a faculty member at North Seattle Colleges to help present today's special award. Paul grew up in Seattle's Central District, attended elementary school with Reverend McKinney's daughter, Laura Allen. He's the son of Aki Carose, from whom a Seattle Middle School is named. He's well known for his commitment to equity, diversity at North Seattle College, 
across the other colleges, district, and indeed in our community. Paul teaches math to students who are not quite ready for college-level mathematics. He serves as chair-elect of North Diversity and Inclusion Council for Equity. He also teaches classes at Garfield High School and volunteers two nights a week at the Rainier Community Center. He's a karate instructor. <laughs> Please join me, friends, in welcoming Paul and Aisha James, this year's scholarship recipient to the podium. Paul. different. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Pan, for the introductions. My name's Paul Kurose, and I'm Aki Kurose's son. <laughs> and for those of you wondering, yes, I am one of those Kurose's. Sister Ruthann, right here in the audience. She's here almost every year. In fact, she's been coming for so long. You can add her to that list on the website, recognizing those deserving men being recognized for attending this event for over 20 years. <laughs> and my sister Marie is also here today. She must not have known I was going to be up here. <laughs> no, I'm very fortunate to have them both who've taught me so much. I'd like to take a moment to thank DeAndre Fisher, North Seattle College's newly hired Associate Vice President of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. <clears throat> He's the one who put me up here today, so I don't know if I really <laughs> should thank him. But I told DeAndre as he was going to the planning meetings for this event, I said, constructive criticism, I think we need to hear from those of our community when we come to our community for this event. I didn't mean me, but he put me in this spot, so. As a junior high school student, bused from Meany Junior High, just up the street, out to the north end of Seattle, I never felt I belonged. Sadly, just yesterday, an African-American student at North Seattle College shared with me how isolated she felt as a student at North. But in six short months on the job, DeAndre has made such a difference that I told my student that I wanted her to meet DeAndre because the work he was doing to change things at North, to make it a place where all could feel they belong. And my student said, yes, I want to meet him and I want to help him in that goal. While we are now making progress at North Seattle College toward that goal, it is here in the Central District, the CD, where I will always feel at home. Reverend McKinney, my parents, and other people of color of their time were not allowed to live anyplace else. But now, those of my generation who grew up here as a result are proud to say this is where we're from. We're proud because growing up in the CD, we grew up under the influence, the influence of community elders 
like my Madrona Elementary School classmate, Laura Ellen's dad, Reverend Samuel B. McKinney. Having had the privilege of growing up with Reverend McKinney as a role model, as a community elder looking out for us, standing up for us, guiding us, and consoling us when needed, makes the opportunity to, opportunity to honor him on behalf of our college district mean something extra to me. I'm especially grateful to have this opportunity to take part in honoring him through presenting this scholarship in his name in this first year since his passing. I hope the McKinney family feels some comfort knowing Reverend McKinney will live on in so many of us, including those to whom we award this scholarship each year. This year's Reverend Samuel B. McKinney Scholarship recipient is NSC student, North Seattle College student, Aisha James. I first met Aisha as a dedicated student consistently coming into our math tutoring center to work her way through the pre-college level math classes she was placed into to meet the prerequisites for the college level math class she needed, statistics. <laughs> when she finally got to that statistics class that she needed, she wasn't able to get on top of things right from the start. Seeing this, her teacher came down hard on her. Aisha responded by stepping up, and with the amazing support of a volunteer tutor, Patricia Gouge. Patricia, where are you? The two of them tirelessly worked together multiple times a week resulting in Aisha earning a 3.5 in her college-level <laughs> statistics class. This is a class for which 76% of the final grade was based on the exams in the course. Scary thought. And after completing the class, here's what Aisha said in thanking that teacher. You not only gave me an opportunity, but you believed in me, and your harsh words, coming from a good place, proved it. <laughs> I shared this earlier today with Laura Ellen and my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Frank Jones. Mr. Jones, where are you at? There he is. He was our teacher at Madrona. And his friend sitting with him said, I could see who your mentor was. <laughs> yes, that teacher was me. I am so glad Aisha understood where my harsh words were coming from. She didn't want pity, coddling, or an easy pass over a lower bar. She showed what many who employ or advocate for such approaches do not believe to be true about students like her. She showed that given the opportunity, high expectations and support, she was able of, of achieving at high levels in college level math. Such a joy and an honor to award this year's Reverend Samuel B. McKinney Scholarship to my student, Aisha James.
Thank you so much for that. And uh, just a reminder also, Aisha, wherever there you are, we can't wait to hear more from your voice as it gets lifted and you go on and do great things in Reverend McKinney's name. That's a great honor and a burden, and we know you're going to live up to it. Congratulations to you. Now, Michael Eric Dyson is one of the nation's most renowned professors 
gifted writers, inspiring preachers, knowledgeable lecturers, and riveting media personalities. You have probably seen and heard him before. He earned a PhD in religion from Princeton University. He now teaches at Georgetown. For more than a decade, he's occupied the school's highest rank as university professor of sociology. He's written more than 20 books. He's served for the last 30 years as a media commentator and host on just about every major radio and television show. Now, feminist author Naomi Wolf calls Dyson the ideal public intellectual of our times. Pretty high praise. But writer Nathan McCall perhaps captures it best when he says that Dyson is a street fighter in suit and tie. He's in his suit and tie. He's ready to brawl, folks. So please welcome Michael Eric Dyson. Thank you very kindly. Ms. Lavin for that very gracious introduction to all of the distinguished guests on the dais, including the interim pastor, Reverend James Stallings, to this great choir under the direction of the inimitable Mr. Donnell Damon and the greater works, doing greater works still, to Chancellor Penn and to all of the other incredible and distinguished folk here, of course, to the governor of this great state, Governor Inslee. Most politicians get up and leave. The fact that he's still here says something about him, all right? They be doing them drive-bys. I know they're busy, but you ain't too busy to stay a while to see the constituency that you ostensibly represent. I say ostensibly because there's some folk in office ain't representing the people, right? Glad to know the state of Washington ain't shut down. And there's so many other distinguished folk who are here. My right-hand man riding shotgun, Mr. Dan Johnson, right, who is a, a remarkable brother. I've been here several times to Seattle, often under his invitation. One of the most gracious and giving men. I know he's dean of student life and student advocate at South Seattle College. I want him to stand up so you can see him over here, my man, Dan Johnson. And of course, I want to thank Brother Ernest Phillips for extending this invitation for me to come here today. A wise and gifted young man, a remarkable young man. I want him to stand up and get his love to Brother Ernest Phillips. All right. Then I have uh, the great 
uh, tag team. I know the nation has Barack and Michelle, but y'all got Andrea and Eddie, all right? Dr. Andrea Rye is a retired higher uh, education administrator, and she has been equally an advocate for justice and equality and for the people of color who have been disenfranchised. She dedicated her career to ensuring parity and access for students of color in higher ed, and her partner in crime, of course, Brother Eddie Rye Jr., community activist and fighter for small and minority business equity. He worked diligently to ensure there was a federal holiday for King and to turn this county into Martin Luther King County. Show them some love up in here. Stand up, Doc. And their daughter, of, of course, is the remarkable, gifted, brilliant, unflappable, incapable of being shut downable. The brilliant, the beautiful, magnificent, my daughter, in spirit, he allows me to share the title of daddy. I'm the unofficial daddy, the great Angela Rye, my mentee, right? And then finally, I looked out here because a woman who has brought me here, perhaps the longest of anybody here in Seattle, um, is the great Dr. Jennifer Wiley, and she is the principal of the remarkable Franklin High School. And let me tell you, she has done exquisite and extraordinary work to make sure that that multicultural, multiracial group of young people represent the best of our educational aspirations for them, but doing a remarkable job of bringing so many people together to make certain that their interests are protected, their education is elevated, and their respect for the process of becoming adults is guarded religiously. And she does an extraordinary job, and I look forward to returning to her school time and again, because she's one of the greatest principals that this nation has right now. I wanted to stand up Dr. Jennifer Wiley so you can see her out here. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all don't get a chance, y'all get a chance, go over to Franklin and hang out. A great, great school, right? Don't, don't go over there doing crazy stuff, but I mean, go over there and see what they be doing. Now, today in the little time I have to speak about Dr. King and to mention Dr. Stallings, of course, to come here to this great church where I've preached and had a chance to engage even when Dr. McKinney was alive, his wonderful daughter, Sister McKinney, the, the McKinney family is an extraordinary treasure for us here. And Dr. McKinney, one of the great civil rights leaders along with the rise that this city has produced and in his honor, 
and in his memory, we say these words from this pulpit that he made one of the majestic way stations for truth and for justice in this country. And so we celebrate his memory. And, and finally, I want to say to Sister Monique Ming Lavin, I mean, I, I, I loved her words, her subtle and insightful indication that you can say something in 140 words. Huh? That's signifying. That's what people of color do. We be signifying. We ain't got to say it straight out. You know what we be saying. She on the news. She got to be neutral. You know what it is. I, however, ain't on the news. So I'm about to give it to you 140% true. Right? Now y'all gonna clap, and then you're gonna get mad. <laughs> then you're gonna clap, then get mad again. Because that's what I do. And so I'm honored to be here as a paid pest. That's my role in life. And so today I want to reflect briefly on the subject a triumphant king in an age of a tragic Trump. When we think about Martin Luther King, Jr., we think about, in my estimation, the greatest American this nation has produced. Now, I realize that's a gigantic statement. After all, this nation has seen the roll call of heroic individuals who have, with eloquence, articulated the ideals, the premises, and presuppositions of American democratic experimentation. We think of Thomas Jefferson, of course, that sage of Monticello, who in his great wisdom penned the words of the Declaration of Independence. They weren't without flaw. We know that in that great declaration, you look at his insult to native peoples and to people of color who were black. But despite that, we're able to overlook the acrimonious indifference and active hostility to the fundamental premise of the humanity of people of color to embrace his greatness as the architect of a document that continues to inform American life. We think about Benjamin Franklin. We think about Susan B. Anthony. We think about the great authors who have inspired us with their majestic words, Toni Morrison, and we think about Amy Tan, we think about the beauty and power of Latinx and Latino and Asian and Pacific Rim folk who come here from throughout the world. We think about people from across the globe who come to America and make this country what it is, and yet, we think about Abraham Lincoln, who, who with powerful intensity weighed the fate of this nation and refused to give in to forces that he might naturally want to. He admitted later that if he could have found a way to keep the nation together without freeing enslaved human beings, he would have done so. But it ain't what he wanted to do is what he did. 
what your intention was is one thing. What your action is is something else, right? And since we in the church, even the Bible says you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so I say king, yes, flawed, of course, but a great man. King, yes, didn't live to be 40, but a great man. King, yes, a private citizen. So many of these other men and women who were great had the bully pulpit of official, of official office, the imprimatur of their political aspiration to stamp their design on the nation. This was a private citizen born in Atlanta, Georgia, to a man who struggled for his education, the great grandson of enslaved people, and yet in less than 40 years, he changed American life. He articulated his dream to be sure. As was indicated, he went to Morehouse College at 15. They had an early admissions program because Black men were being wiped out in terms of service and World War II and their numbers for education were being depleted. So King was admitted because he was extremely bright. Later on, Maynard Jackson, the first black mayor of Atlanta, would be admitted under the same program at 15, graduated at 19, become an ordained minister, go to seminary, work on a PhD by the time he's 26 and then get thrust into the movement in quoting Rhino Niebuhr, he said, the battering rams of historical necessity have thrust me into my position. I wasn't Instagramming it. I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't trying to Cardi B the game. How about that Cardi B? Drop some more stuff on Trump. The only book he had, he had to face it. Y'all don't know nothing about that, you young people. We had to make calls with a telephone. You don't know nothing. Then you put all that effort in. That's a busy signal. I know y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all want instant gratification. Where you at? Hang up the phone. Call waiting. Wasn't no call waiting. You had to wait until the call got hung up on and then call somebody else. And if you really did it, don't, don't lie and say you didn't. You called the operator and said it was an emergency to interrupt the call. <laughs> and so this young prodigy, this bon vivant, this young man who was known as Tweed, had nice suits, loved to dress, Stylishly, we romanticized King. We got to look at his evolution. He and his friend were called the Wrecking Crew. And when somebody asked them, why y'all call yourself the Wrecking Crew, he said, because we wreck all the ladies. <laughs> oh, he wasn't born in I Have a Dream. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. He was dreaming, but it wasn't about the prospect of American democracy. <laughs> And so this young man left his home in the South, went up east, then returned to the South to become pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, and then history broke out. 
You can never tell. The unpredictable forces of history will break out. A woman, yes, a seamstress, but she was a powerful advocate for truth and justice. She was an anti-rape activist, too. Don't reduce Rosa Parks to being an ancillary part of the movement. She was a strong feminist with gender consciousness trying to retaliate against rape culture. Talking about my feet's tired. Her soul was tired. Bruised by the horrors of American inequality. And she had a double whammy of it as a woman and as a black person in this country. And so the community got wind of it. Professor Robinson at the local school heard what happened and went to a mimeograph machine. You young folk don't even know what a mimeograph is. Y'all have no idea. Stencil, ink, put it on a barrel, turn it around. This is before a Xerox. It wasn't even no Xerox. Before fax machines and tweets and, and such, and, and she mimeographed leaflets to talk about what was happening in a meeting, and King got called on in leadership because he was a compromised candidate. On the one hand, you had Negro leaders who were already there for years, and they were vying over who was going to run stuff. They said, this new kid in town ain't got nothing on him. Let's holly at him. <laughs> he was spiffy. He was natty in his nice suits and his snap-brim broad-banded fedoras, nice shiny watch for you diss Jay-Z and Diddy and all the other young people recognize style ain't endemic to hip-hop culture. <laughs> if I had time, I'd deconstruct that for you. <laughs> and so he got called upon, and the rest is history. He got prepared. This young lady who won this award with those harsh words from her professor, he had withstood those harsh words all the way to a PhD. Because the time of crisis ain't no time to do homework. You got to already know the words. So when he stepped up to the spot, he knew how to quote, Carlisle is right, truth crushed the earth shall rise again. James Russell Lowell is right, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. It ain't no time to do homework when the crisis hits. Young people, if you want to be like King, do your work. Get up early and study your lesson and go to school. I got young folk in my college class, sometimes they tell me they got to leave class early. They got their late. What you got to leave for? Well, I'm going to the local so-called meeting of. That's good. But you ain't going to know nothing if you don't stay in class to study what you're supposed to know so you can rebel in the appropriate fashion with high intelligence like Stokely Carmichael, uh, Ella Baker, uh, Joanne Robinson, uh, Angela Davis, uh, James Baldwin, and Septa McClark. You better know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm. 
And so King became the leader and an American icon, cover of Time magazine. Then he floundered a while trying to figure out what was the next thing to do after the bus boycott over 365 days when Negroes stuck together. Ain't often we stick together. <laughs> Divide and conquer is the rule. I'm mad at you for what you got. You got a bigger platform than me as opposed to seeing we all getting dissed. Can we stick together so we can a protest against all of us getting shot upon? And so King then, because of the student involvement, where they were at the lunch counters in Greensboro and other places, sparked a change across America because young people's activism is the thing that often projects itself into the world to remind older people that there's a possibility of social transformation. Old folk be so jaded and upset, it can't do nothing, it can't change, it don't make no difference. Yeah, it do. And if, yes, we can. <laughs> and so young people remind us, get up off of your couch. Get involved in the movement. Make a change because something can change. And so those young people reminded him that that was the case. And then he gave that great speech in 1963. My God, what a great speech it was. But the government didn't want it to happen. John F. Kennedy was very upset. I don't want you to come to Washington, D.C. to march for civil rights because it will shine a light on what I ain't doing. Because some liberals love to, to take credit for what they're doing, except when you call on them to do it. Oh, they want, they want the commercial, they just don't want to provide the product. Oh, oh, the real work is to get out there and, and do it. So John Kennedy was playing ends against the middle. He told the Civil Rights Movement, I will do everything I can for you. And he told right white bigots down in the South, I ain't going to use the federal government to intervene on local politics on your jurisdiction. Oh, he was a little slick with his stuff. His brother Bobby a bit more enlightened, but they were both slick with it. And King had to call him to account. They had snipers on the top of the buildings in Washington, D.C., just in case during the march on Washington, Negroes got out of hand. That's how much they were scared of what was going on. They've been calling the police on us. Didn't start with, with Becky, didn't start with with the lemonade, Negroes can't sell lemonade on the street, police called. Water, police called. Starbucks, local authority, police called. <laughs> Trying to go to sleep at school, police called. Trying to study, police called. Trying to breathe, police called. <laughs> Wasting the police's time on black people who doing what you do every day. But you don't criminalize what you do every day. And then we see that people of color, as has been stated, have violent interactions with the police. Usually it's the violence of the police against people. Let's just talk about who got the guns and who ain't. Now, I ain't, I ain't dissing police, because black people call police more than anybody. 
Come on now, keep it real. Negroes call the police more than anybody. Mama, I'm about to call the police on you right now. <laughs> Fix my pancakes. 911, hey, 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 hey. Let me tell you, she ain't doing that, right? Black people will call the police. But the thing is, when the police get there, we want you to know the difference between the criminal and us. If you've already criminalized us, it doesn't make a difference what we do. You can be in Minnesota and you can say to the policeman, sir, I have a legally registered gun. Seven seconds later, you were dead. Selling Lucy cigarettes like Eric Garner, selling like Mr. Sterling, CDs down in Louisiana. It's not what we do, it's who we are. It seems to be the problem. And so, my brothers and sisters, he gave that speech, and it was a great speech for people of Frozen King in 1963, like that was his only hit. He had more songs than that in the repertoire. He had more speeches to give. The speech he gave the night before he was murdered, he said, America, all we ask is be true to what you said on paper. If you said it, live it. If you made it an ideal, make it real. So we would rather freeze King in 1963 when he said, I have a dream. My four little children will live in a nation where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Many of our conservative white brothers and sisters think, well, Dr. King was against affirmative action. He was against any race consciousness. His assertion was that ideally, colorblindness should be the adjudicative process between competing claims of what is true and just. That ain't what he said. <laughs> that not what he done said. What he had said was, that's an ideal toward which we are aiming. It ain't the reality yet. It's like you at your crib, and you saying, one day, when I grow up, I'm going to have a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> but right now, you pushing a hoopty. <laughs> you want the Benz, but you got a hoopty. We want the ideal of racial justice, but we got a hoopty right now. And we got to continue to face the fact that there is still tragedy going on in our society, not just when King was there. Many white brothers and sisters think King solved the whole problem of race. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And when he died, the problem died. That ain't true. We still deal with unequitable practices in America, inequitable realities and injustice. Housing discrimination is still real tragic educational outcomes because of lethal disparities are still real. The fact that the police continue to do a great job for most American citizens but have lethal interactions with people of color is an indictment against the persistence of white supremacy in America. Ain't just what used to be is what is. And many of us, when we talk about white privilege, many white people get upset. My God, Jiminy Cricket, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't have any white privilege. I worked hard for everything I have. <laughs> Nobody gave it to me. Slow down, Mace, we get it. 
but so did we. But people be saying, you must, somebody must have gave you that. You must be here because of affirmative action, and your name Jethro. And you know you got to hook up, because you dumb as two doornails. Right? We know you got in because of somebody's mama and daddy because you can't spell. But you white and it doesn't appear that you can't spell. Or you got a British accent, so it looks like everything you're saying is really smart. Yes, well, rather distinctly, of course. As if, as if, as if you don't understand that, that, that your privilege hinges on something that was given to you and you're unconscious of its source. White brothers and sisters tend to forget under Jim Crow, black people couldn't go to none of these big schools. It don't mean every white person could go to Harvard. It meant the only people going to Harvard were white. Do you get the difference? It don't mean every white person gonna be rich. It means the people who tend to be rich gonna be white. Do you get the difference? White privilege doesn't mean you don't have to work hard for what you got. White privilege means your hard work is rewarded in a way that other people's hard work is not rewarded. We could take the issue of gender. Women doing just as much work as men, sometimes double, and getting half to pay. And black and Latinx women getting half of that. It ain't like they ain't doing the same thing. Women getting up, handling the kids, going to work, making the food, coming home, taking care of the kids, and you saying, I had a rough day. Okay, brah. <laughs> and so do not freeze Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963. He had other speeches. He said, I saw my, saw my dream turn into a nightmare when those four little girls were blown to their eternal reward in a church while worshiping the almighty God. The greatest domestic terrorists in America have been Christians, not Muslims. It ain't Muhammad, it's Bubba. Here we are in celebration of Dr. King in the age of Trump. Even white folk are going, my God. <laughs> what in the... We're in church. Oh, wait a minute, it's in the Bible. What in the hell? Now, if conservative white folk are going, I have no idea <laughs> what that is. Oh, yeah, you do. See, Donald Trump is the manifestation of what people of color have been warning you against for 400 years. Huh? This is what we've been telling you. This is what white supremacy looks like. It's narcissistic, it's self-important, it don't listen to nobody, think it know everything, and is dumb as all get out.
That's your baby. You fed him that diet of delirious delusion. You made him think he could say anything he wanted to say. He ain't the only one. He's just the one with the most power. We look at Mr. Trump and we go, even with the everyday notion of what affirmative action is, which is deeply misinformed, Affirmative action doesn't mean that you're a person of color or a woman and you get to hook up just because you're a person of color woman. That ain't what it means. It means in the competition over relatively scarce resources, a nod is given to the historically underrepresented minority who is competing at equal level with the person with the advantage. But even if you don't take that one and you go with the ignorant one and you think it just means hooking people up, who got a bigger hookup than this dude? You know he dumb, and bless his heart, he got swag envy against the guy who had the job before he did. He mad because that man can talk, right? The king's English to the queen's taste. He knows what a gerund and a participle is. A dangling participle is not a piece of lettuce. He knows how to spell hamburgers. He reads more than his own book. Don't know if he actually read that one. Right? He comes down Air Force One. He had style. Don't get mad. It's like 50 Cent was playing in the background. I don't know what you heard about me. The Republicans can't get a dollar out of me. He had swag and style, and he had charisma, he had presence. You mad, you ain't got it. And you asking for his birth certificate because he ain't from this country. Based upon your actions, what planet are you from? Show me your birth certificate. <laughs> this man stands up every morning to excrete the feces of his moral depravity into a nation he has turned into his psychic commode. Nasty, vicious, calling women out of their names, making up stuff about them. And even on the left, those who were arguing, well, there's no difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Shame on you, left. Hillary Clinton had more knowledge in her left finger than in this man's entire body. And you see what they're doing now with Elizabeth Warren and Kirsten Gillibrand and maybe now Kamala Harris. Is she likable? She ain't trying to be your boyfriend. She got a man. <laughs> she trying to run the country. You ain't asking us, is Donald Trump likable? The most unlikable person to occupy 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The polls say so. I wish Obama had come out to the White House sometime in a skull cap. <laughs> with a terry cloth, cloth robe on. With an ice grill in his mouth. Picking up his newspaper in the morning. Going, what? Yeah. I live in public housing, so what? 
I wish I could have been his anger translator. For real. The next to last State of the Union speech he gave when he announced to the nation he didn't have any more races to run and they got all giddy on the Republican side. He said, because I beat you twice. I, I wish I could have translated that for him. I know we in church because I can't say what I want to say to translate it, but let me mouth it for you and see if you can make it out. This is what Obama wanted to say. Look, I done twice. And if I was on the ballot for a third time, I'd whip yo again. And so, here in this age of Trump, how do we embrace a triumphant king? First of all, get rid of the amnesia. King was a dangerous black man. All of this mollycoddling and making him a toothless tiger. The second in command of the FBI said he was the most dangerous Negro leader in America. Donald Trump can't claim it, but King could have said the FBI is dogging me out. Everything Trump is trying to claim, King could really say it. The media messing him up, the FBI jacking him up, and don't pay attention to his citizenship rights. The FBI knew when King was under threat of death in a local place and refused to tell him. He was dangerous. And he was dangerous because he challenged the status quo. Black and white, across the board. He challenged white supremacists. He said to America, he said, most Americans are unconscious racists. And then two months before he died, he had a meeting with black preachers. He said, you're more concerned about the wheelbase on your automobile than the poverty of your constituency and congregation. See, King was dangerous because he would have celebrated Obama, but he would have criticized him too. It, 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 see, 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 black folk looking at white folks thinking they drank the Kool-Aid, what you doing with Obama? Right? I ain't saying Obama's Trump. I wish I could, I wish he could have a third term. But don't act like Obama did everything he could have done. Right? He was scurred too. You the most powerful man in the world looking around. Look, if Donald Trump ain't showed you nothing, the president can do a whole bunch of stuff. Keep be signing them stuff up in there. Executive order to have McDonald's fries without salt delivered to the White House for Clemson. Right? He could have done a lot more with what he had, but he was worried about what they thought. They don't dig you, son. They never going to dig you. I know you want to be liked by white brothers and sisters. Your job is bigger than that. Your job is to tell the truth as the president of the United States of America. I didn't expect him to go Rafiki wa kuumba. But he could have used his bully pulpit earlier than he did to talk about criminal justice reform. Why you wait so long? That was a problem when you got there. Okay, you wanted the first term. You got that second term. What was you doing? Not what were you doing. What was you doing? Nathan, but penetration. You were doing nothing. You could have done more. My Bible tells me if you kick a demon out and you don't put nothing in this place, seven worse will come in. I ain't calling Trump a demon. I'm telling you that, that we have to be critical of each other and of the process in order to have real democracy. King was a dangerous man. Get rid of that amnesia. Secondly, make it race and 
not race only. Because race and gender determines people's lives in a way that we don't pay attention to. That's why Black Lives Matter movement is so important. I know some of y'all mad at the young people, but the reality is they're forcing us to come to grips with race and class and gender and sexual orientation. And some of the same black people who mad at white supremacists hold on to their homophobia. Huh? Boy, if I had time, I'd get into that one. I was at a church in Cleveland the other day, Reverend Stallings, and a black woman came to me. She said, you know you're going to hell. I said, man, did Jesus tell you that already? I, Lord, I ain't got to watch my cholesterol then. Let me go for what I know. She said, you know what I'm talking about. She said, you said God created gay people. I said, and you think I'm going to hell? You a polytheist. You think there's a God for straight people and one for gay people? I think God made them all. Either God made everybody or God made nobody. Right? Don't try to use God to co-sign your bigotry. You mad at, what you mad at gay folk for? You think you gonna get it too? Maybe you like them a little bit more than you're willing to admit. Open up. She said, you know, they had a choice. I didn't. I said, really? I said, let me tell you something. First of all, some black people have opted out of the plan of blackness. I ain't gonna name no names, Clarence, but, but what's interesting, <laughs> what? I mean, Clarence Carter is one of my favorite singers. What are you people talking about, Ben? Ben, I mean, been there, done that. That's all I'm saying. Some folk done opted out. I said, choice? When did you choose to be straight? If you choose to be gay, you gotta choose to be straight. When did you choose that? Went to your mom at 13, look, I've looked at the options. I've now made a choice. That ain't how I work. So stop using your religion and identity to demonize somebody else. Race and class, race and gender, race and sexuality. And then finally, let me tell you this. If you really gonna hold on to King in the age of Trump, you gotta treat women with respect. And let me tell you this. Donald Trump going around bragging about he grabbed it. You ain't even successful at that. Why you got to, if you a real man, you ain't got to grab it, call it, summons it. With the integrity of your individual identity. Right? Even, you blaming hip hop, but hip hop ain't said that at its best. It is true, Biggie Small said, some say the X makes the sex spectacular. Make me lick you from your neck to your back then. Chills delivering, tongues up that spine, that behind is mine. Then he says, but if it's all right with you, we gonna love. That's affirmative consent, Trump. That means you got to ask for it. And in my case, and in others, beg for it. <laughs> but we got skills in, ba baby, please. <laughs> right, you ain't got to grab it, call it. 
with the integrity of your individual identity. If you're going to be a member of King's Kingdom, you've got to treat women with respect. That's why I love Dr. Rye, Dr. Wiley, and the women represented here today. Stand up for them. And when you stand up for them, you stand up for King's dream. That's how you make his dream come alive today. Peace. We would love for you to sing this song with us. This is a song that Reverend Dr. McKinney would sing with us right at the end. And we would like you to sing with us, okay? It says, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Dr. Dyson, thank you again so much. Harsh words coming from a great place. I didn't know that was going to be the theme today, but apparently it is. Thank you for reminding us that you don't have to be perfect to be called. <laughs> 